This week we're going to be looking at the power of the church. Now when we start to think about the power of the church, often we, well within the uniting church as it is, often what we start to think about is that it's what we do. It's the helping within the community that is at need, is the church really demonstrating its power. Whether it be the community cafe that we have here on on a Wednesday, whether it be um, supporting children in poverty around the world through the stuff that we do with compassion, whether it be Operation Christmas Child that we did just recently, or whether it be as we're approaching Christmas right now, um, helping within the Christmas Bowl. And actually what I want to do is I just want to share with you um, a little video um, from the Christmas Bowl um, because it is actually 70 years since the Christmas Bowl started and, um, and I just want to share with you one of their videos um, that kind of just introduces uh, what the church is doing and what we, through our generosity, uh, through the gifts that we give at Christmas time, uh, what that enables the church around the world to do and help those in need. So we're just going to go to the screens for a moment. So what you can see is that you know, the church in action, helping those in need, is, is actually really a demonstration of what the power of the church can actually do. You know, and it actually is looking at helping those in real poverty with real practical, everyday kind of things. However, when we talk about church and power in our society today, we need to be careful. We need to be, honestly, we need to be careful because the church has abused power, hasn't it? For those who've been entrusted in its care, it has abused power. You know, and, and it's, you know, we need to kind of not overstep the mark. And in fact, for a lot of people, the church has no power whatsoever. They actually think it's completely irrelevant, you know, no use at all. But let me say this. If we think that the power of the church is, is about the money or the property or the influence that we have or the position that we hold or the politics that we get involved in or the activities that we do, we've actually missed the point when we come to the power of the church as we find in the Acts of the Apostle and what it teaches us. See, the power of the church is more than doing the right thing. And, and let me say this, doing the right thing is incredibly important. But what that leads to is a tendency just to be fixated on our behaviour, on the things that we do, the acts that we, we perform. But it's rather it is a matter of having the right attitude, the right heart and maintaining a right relationship with our Lord. That is the power of the church. When our heart and attitude is in the right place, then the motives of the actions that we do are in the right thing and that helps us and that gives us the power that Acts talks about. As a church, as New Beginnings Uniting Church, we have a mission statement which says, to lead people to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And that's what we aim and strive to do in everything that we have as a church. And we have four words that help us to describe what we do and how we do it. 
and I'll put them up on the screen, they're bigger, deeper, higher and wider. Bigger is all about how, as a church, we share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Deeper is how we we help develop a close relationship with God so that our personal close relationship with God. Higher is about hearing the word of God found in the Bible and worshipping together. And wider is the church helping those in need through the programs that we do. See, this is the heart of New Beginnings Uniting. And it is the power of New Beginnings Uniting because it is what Jesus has placed on our hearts as a church to do. It's not because we do those activities. It's not because we uphold them. It's not because we've printed banners or anything like that. It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, this church is able to have power in the name of Jesus Christ. See, the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to various churches that were established in the early church, he wrote to the church in Corinth. And he says this about when he came to the church. And it's really important because it gives us the framework of where the power within the church resides. When I first came to you, dear brothers and sisters... This comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. I didn't use lofty words and impressive wisdom to tell you God's secret plans. For I decided that while I was with you, I would forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. I came to you in weakness, timid and trembling, and my message and my preaching were very plain, Rather than using clever and persuasive speeches, I relied on the power of the Holy Spirit. I did this so that you would trust not in human wisdom, but in the power of God. See, what Paul is saying here is the power of the church comes from the Holy Spirit. It comes from God and it's not from the programs. It's not from the eloquent preaching. It's not from the wisdom of the leader out the front. It's not about the personality of that. It is from God. It is the Holy Spirit and it's when they preach Jesus Christ. See, Paul says, I forget all of those tricks, all of those things, and I preach Christ. I come back to Jesus Christ. I bring you Jesus Christ. That is the power of the church. So we've been looking at Acts, at the early church, the first church, at its creation. And I want to give you a reading from Acts 2. And we're going to be focusing on Acts 2 verses 41 through to 47 to give us our framework of how the power of the church is made real, is manifest. But I have to set the scene for you so you can understand where it's coming from. And it's... It really starts after Jesus has, has commissioned the disciples with the Holy Spirit to go and be the church in all power, to go out and be the witnesses to all the ends of the earth. And he's taken up into heaven and then after that, the Holy Spirit is upon the believers, it descends upon the believers. And then Peter, the apostle Peter, preaches about Jesus and he preaches here in Acts chapter 2 verses uh, 36 to 38. Actually, all the way through Acts chapter 2, all the way through to chapter 4 is Peter preaching about Jesus, about the apostles preaching about Jesus. And, And this is what it says. 
So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. You see what Peter's doing already? He's preaching about Jesus Christ. He's preaching and saying that he was crucified, but he is the Lord of all. He is the Messiah. He's the chosen one, the one that you were looking for. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what, what should we do? You know, the, the word of God through the power of Peter preaching about Jesus Christ and what had happened fell on these people's hearts and said, What should we do? What do I have to do to become right with God? And Peter replies, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptised in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, this is the basis of the message that Peter preached. It is Jesus, that he is the Lord, he is the Messiah, and that you need to repent of your sins, turn to God, be baptised in the name of Jesus, and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And they did this, and a large number of those people came to faith because of the preaching, because of the power of the Holy Spirit working through this, the apostles and establishing the first Christian church, the Christian church in Jerusalem. And it goes on to, here's the passage I want us to focus on today. And it comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through to 47. Those who believe what Peter said, so those who heard the preaching of Peter about Jesus, those who believe what Peter said were baptised and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. What, a, what an amazing event. What an amazing event to have all of these people come to Jesus Christ and give their life to Christ all at once. And all the believers then devoted themselves to, be, to the apostles' teachings, to fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayers. A deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders and all the believers met together in one place sharing everything they had. You know, they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Isn't this sounding fantastic, like an amazing church here? And all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who are being saved. See, such an immensely powerful section of, of the Bible here. And it really does help us to understand where the power of the church is and how it resides. We need to understand in this process that what is being described here is the first church, the first Christian church really being established and growing in Jerusalem. And they are Jewish believers. And we know through, uh, as we read through Acts, that it starts with the Jewish believers and then goes out to those in Samaria and, and then goes out further and wide to all the people of the world. It's an expanding gospel message of Jesus Christ, hope and salvation, and the church continues to be planted in lots of different locations. But this early church took on the patterns and behaviours of the culture of their location, which is Jerusalem, which is the Jewish faith. And so they took on a number of those, but then as the church was planted, things became very real, very uh, described as being the 
put into practice. And that's why Paul uh, writes the letters to the various churches. He's planning to, to correct some things that are going a little bit wrong, but to give an understanding of, of what it actually really means to be a church following Jesus Christ, to be individuals who say yes to Jesus. And so what we hear in this, this section from the Act of the Apostles is the power of the church is made real in four distinct ways. The power of the church is made real when the church devotes itself to the teaching of the apostles. We remember hearing that in, in, in the passage from Acts, that they came together and they devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles. What does that actually mean? The term that Luke uses, he's the writer of the Acts of the Apostles, uh, is actually that he's saying that the teaching is, is, is really from what Peter is saying all the way through Acts chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 is really based upon that, the teaching of the apostles. And we heard what that was. It's teaching about Jesus Christ. It's teaching about the message of who Jesus is, teaching about the good news of Jesus, teaching about salvation comes through Jesus. See, the power of the church comes through the Holy Spirit upon those believers within the church and is made evident when the church teaches the good news of Jesus Christ. That the salvation, your salvation, is found through Jesus. That's where the power comes from. It's not through programs, things. It's coming from the Holy Spirit, coming when the church devotes itself to preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to all of the world. The power of the church is made real when the church devotes itself to fellowship. Now, fellowship here in the text is, is, is kind of broader um, understanding than our English word we have. Essentially, what it means is to come into joint participation, sharing everything in common with one another. It's kind of like having a partnership. So the church... The power of the church is really made evident when it comes together in fellowship, when it comes together in joint participation, when it comes together sharing everything in common, when it comes together in partnership, but in partnership with who? In partnership with the Holy Spirit, in partnership with Christ's suffering, in partnership together in ministry, in partnership sharing the resources that you have to do what? To devote yourself to the preaching of the good news of Jesus Christ. So that everybody, to witness, to tell the world who Jesus is. You come together and you do that, the fellowship together. And, you know, and I want to actually say this. The power of the church really, really is manifest when believers come together. Not when believers stay at home in their own location and don't join together. The power of the church comes together when believers join together. In partnership with one another, we worship. In partnership, we spread the good news. In partnership, we support one another. That is fellowship, coming together. We, we can do it in so many different ways, in eating meals together, in, in sharing in ministry opportunities, engaging in prayers together. We do it in so many different ways, but the power of the church is made real when it comes and devotes itself to fellowship. So we have two things so far. 
that we find in the Acts of the Apostles chapter 2. That the, the power of the church is made real when they devote themselves to the teaching of the, the apostles, so in other words, to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to devoting itself to the fellowship with other believers, to fellowship and partnering with God to do the work. The power of the church is made real when the church devotes itself to sharing meals, including the Lord's Supper. You know, the writer Luke uh, uses a, a term here which means to break bread. And you can interpret that different ways. You know, and it has different meanings. Breaking bread can often be denoted as observing the Lord's Supper. You know, the, the, the institution that Jesus gave his disciples on that Passover that gave a new covenant, that actually gave a new covenant of Jesus Christ's salvation found in the cross in the shedding of Jesus' blood for the forgiveness of our sins. But it also has a, me a meaning to break bread together is to, to actually share a meal together, to eat together one, with one another. And you know, there's power in both of those things. And they're different powers, but there's power in both of those things. Firstly, when we, when, when we share the Lord's Supper together and also when we share a meal together, what it does is it actually binds us together as believers. It actually reinforces our, our fellowship with one another. That becomes stronger as we share meals together and as we observe the Lord's Supper together. When we devote ourselves to, to the Lord's Supper, it actually brings power each time we do this because when we do it, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. You know, the words that we use and we do, we actually do that. We proclaim Jesus Christ's death and resurrection until he comes again. We proclaim the salvation of Jesus. We proclaim the forgiveness of sins and we do it in a physical, manifest way so that we as individuals may experience again the power of own, our own salvation through Jesus Christ. For many people when they come to worship, they often find that that time when they share the bread and the cup through the Lord's Supper as, as parts of the most meaningful elements of worship because it reminds them of what Jesus has done. It reminds them that we are part of Christ's salvation. It reminds them of the importance of being a Christian. So you can see that the, the power of the church is made real through, through teaching the good news of Jesus Christ, through devoting itself in fellowship and devoting itself in sharing meals together, including the Lord's Supper. We also find that the, the power of the church is made real when the church devotes itself to prayer. There is power in prayer. The power of the church is made real when the people within the church pray.
pray. When we come together as groups, when we pray as individuals, when we pray in situations that just come up, when we pray corporately together as a church, whether it's through worship as the worship team's going and, and we're praying in that moment, or whether it's through prayers of the people when we come and we bring specific concerns and we pray for those because we are asking for God's power and intervention into the lives of those people around us. We're asking for the will of God to be made real in the lives of those around us and in the world today. There is power in prayer. And the church has power when it prays. All great movements of any church, you can look through all our history, all great movements of any church has started with prayer. It hasn't started with going out and raising money. It hasn't started with going out and finding the most charismatic person. It hasn't started with a program or anything like that. It has started with prayer. And that is where the power of the church resides. The apostles prayed. And, you know, when, and I was, as I was talking about, the church, that first church, actually took up the patterns of the behaviour of the, the Jewish cultures around them. They would take up the patterns of the prayers of those times. They would go in, they would go to the temple and they would pray. But as they were doing that, they would pray to that Jesus Christ would come. And they started to take on the patterns of the prayers and realise that the, the apostles, when they prayed into specific situations, prayed with power. And when Jesus prayed, they prayed the same prayers because there is power when the church prays. See, the power of the church is not about the actions that we do, although doing the right thing and doing those actions is incredibly important. You know, without the actions, then we're, we're nothing, but the power of the church really comes from the attitude that allows that action to happen. It comes from the relationship that we have with God. The power of the church is the gospel preached. The power of the church is the gospel lived out in the lives of the believers. The power of the church is the gospel made real in the world around us. So let us just pray that the power of the Holy Spirit will be upon the church, upon new beginnings and upon the churches around us and all throughout the world. We pray that the Holy Spirit will give us the power to spread the good news of Jesus Christ to all the world. So let's just pray together. Lord God, we, we, we ask right now, we ask that your power, that the Holy Spirit be upon us right now. Oh Lord, if you're moving in somebody's hearts right now, we just ask that you move deeply, that they may come to want to know you fully and openly. We ask that your power, power made real through the Holy Spirit, will be upon the believers today. We ask that the power of the believers through the Holy Spirit may be evident in the world around us, in the actions that we do and in the heart position that we have to God. May the power of the Holy Spirit be upon us now and be with us always. Amen.